Hi, I'm Pat. <laughs> you just went right into that. <laughs> I mean. And I'm Carly. I'm back, y'all. <laughs> Woo! This is murder. And mystery. And mac and cheese. And no, I didn't have COVID. Q and <laughs> so much every time it's adorable every time I listen to our podcast back so I always listen to each episode just because I like I want to support us but like I'm like oh my god like why do you guys listen to me talk because my voice is like disgusting yeah your voice sounds so ugly so it sounds like when I'm editing I can tell what's coming up if it's like a sound or a laugh or something based on how it looks and like the sound wave. So I can tell when I'm going to say, um, I can tell when you're going to laugh. I can tell (laughs) when Carly's going to say something like it's well, because we all sound different. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I also enjoy how in our intro, each part of our title fits the person. Like I'm murder your mystery. (laughs) Carly's mac and cheese. (laughs) Oh my Speaking God, of mac so and true. cheese, what a transition! <laughs> I I had mac and cheese, but I ate it all. And What'd you uh, have? so I stopped at CVS on my way home today, and I was just like, because there's one literally right around the corner from my apartment. So I was like, let me see if they have something like frozen that I can just heat up. So I've never heard of this before, but the brand is called Devour. This is what it looks like. Oh, I think those are new. And this version, there was a buffalo chicken version that I almost got. Or maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. buffalo chicken. Maybe it was just buffalo. I almost got it. But then I saw this one. And this one is white cheddar mac and cheese with bacon. Oh. And it says it's Jamelli pasta in a creamy cheese sauce topped with white cheddar cheese and hearty pieces of applewood smoked bacon. Ooh. And it was super good. Oh. It was super good. I honestly Yum. was like very impressed with it, especially for like a frozen mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a lot of calories, but I probably shouldn't have read that. It's fine. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I made uh, brownies, so I'm full on fat and I will be working out after this. Currently, for those of you who are listening later on, uh, it's 9.38 p.m. And this usually goes for about an hour or more. So I will be working out probably until past midnight. It's totally worth it to me. Well, that makes sense. Kat. Also, I might be a little wine drunk. So <laughs> so tonight, I don't have mac and cheese because I'll tell you that it was my dad's birthday. And we had probably everything you could ever think of. Happy we... birthday, Carly's dad. Thank you. He Happy says birthday, thank you from the best. <laughs> so um we had like a shit ton of appetizers at like i don't know three so we like filled up on those uh like artichoke dip and quesadillas and like all this different stuff and then we had fried dough for dinner yum and then we had cannoli pie and ice cream cake and deep fried oreos so i'm quite full 
So I cannot fit mac and cheese right now. I... Yeah. So how did I work last week when you did the intro? <laughs> we um, literally were just awkward. We were like, well, something came up, so Carly can't be with us. So now it's just awkwardly just the two of us. So like, I'm Kat. Like, this is our murder mystery mac and cheese podcast. <laughs> You're like, I'm Kat. I'm Aileen. And this one was like, I'm Carly. <laughs> I should have just put the microphone in front of Raina and just been like, make sounds. Yeah. All right, wait. So what's this what's the topic? And what was the topic last week? Because I missed it. So last week Kat talked about Princess Diana. You should oh, listen right. to that episode. Yeah. Yes, I will. Okay. It was an hour and a half. Edited. Really? An hour edited. and a half of edited content. Yeah, we were on Zoom for a really long time. Okay. So I know Carly might die of curiosity here. I think I might. So today. If I can yes. find my notes. Yes. Don't worry, we're good. Perfect. So, today we're going to talk about the death of Kathleen Peterson. Have either of you watched the documentary on Netflix called The Staircase? No, but I keep meaning to. I've heard No, but I'd like before. to say that Peterson is my doctor's name. Oh, of that course. is awkward. Um, so, no, there's I've, a lot I've, of Peterson in this story, so but I've I, heard I of this. it's not your doctor. I've heard of this, and I also have seen it's either like a BuzzFeed Unsolved or like some sort of like YouTube documentary about it just because I was curious and I was like what yeah. is that about? So The Staircase was like really popular when it came out and I think 2018 mm-hmm. is when it came out so I think a lot of people know this story just from that Yeah. Um, but for me honestly like I've been interested in like true crime and whatever like basically my whole life but when I watched the staircase that kind of got me like back into it dateline dateline it's on dateline sorry oh okay I'm so sorry okay I'm a I'm a dick but (laughs) continue but um so like for me I like when I watched the documentary because I think it's like it's a docu-series I think it's like it's something like eight or ten episodes or something like that um I thought about re-watching it before I filmed this but then I was like I don't really have time for that so I honestly thought it was like one of the most interesting like true crime documentaries I've ever watched um and as we get a little bit more into the details you'll probably understand why so the whole case revolves a lot around the marriage and relationship between Kathleen Peterson and her husband Michael so uh, just to have a little bit of background on the two of them there's not that much background on Kathleen um but all that we really know is she was married once before she was married to Michael um, and her first husband's name was Fred Atwater and the two of them had one child together who's a daughter named Caitlin so Kathleen was married to Fred and they have a daughter named Caitlin okay and so moving on to Michael Peterson his background is a lot more kind of extensive and well-known so he graduated from he was born near Nashville in Tennessee and graduated from Duke University with a bachelor's degree in political science in 1985. Sorry, 1965. Graduated in 1965. That's a big difference. Yeah, 20 years, (laughs) give or take. (laughs) So after he graduated from college- That's one year before my parents were born. 
He took a job at the U.S. Department of Defense, and his job there was basically researching arguments that was supporting additional military involvement in Vietnam. And also in 1965, he married his first wife. His name is Patricia Sue, and the pair would eventually have two children together named Clayton and Todd. Oh. In 1968, Michael enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps and served in the Vietnam War. But in, then in 1971, he was honorably discharged after a car accident left him with a permanent disability. So Michael and Patricia, who was his first wife, again, lived in Germany for many years. Patricia! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a vine. You're doing like the... <laughs> Oh boy. They're doing the flag swirling and she drops it and he goes, Patricia! Can you not do that? Thanks. I am apologize. Okay. I am apologize. I'm a little wine drunk. Don't mind me. That's okay. (laughs) Cat's just vibing over there. Uh, Yeah. That's what anxiety does to you children. So Michael and Patricia lived in Germany for many years and they befriended another couple there who I think was their next door neighbor I think I remember that from the documentary but I couldn't find it anywhere directly what their relationship was but I think they were neighbors at least I don't remember if it was next door or just same street or whatever so the couple was Elizabeth and George Ratliff who had two children named Margaret and Martha uh after George Ratliff died Elizabeth so his now widow and her family became very close with the Petersons so their families got very close then Elizabeth died in 1985 and Patricia and Michael became the legal guardians of their two children the girls Margaret and Martha um and then Michael and Patricia ended up getting divorced in 1987 and after that Michael moved to Durham North Carolina with Margaret and Martha And Clayton and Todd stayed with Patricia, but later on, Clayton and Todd would eventually join their father in Durham. So the family that's living right now in Durham is Michael, his two biological children, Clayton and Todd, and then his two, I guess, kind of adopted children, Margaret and Martha, who were the children of the neighbors that died in Germany. Michael also ran a mayoral campaign in 1999 to become the mayor of Durham but he didn't win and he also wrote (laughs) I looked up the election and it was something like date of the primary was October 5th 1999 and the person that won the primary got 7,895 votes and Michael got 5,480 so I think that's still pretty respectable. Not bad. It's not like he got like two votes. Right, but right. Alas, he did not win the primary, so we didn't move on to the regular election or whatever. But in addition to that, he also wrote three novels that were based around his experiences in the Vietnam War. And he co-wrote a few other books, as well as working as a newspaper columnist for the Durham Herald Sun. So he kind of became a, I guess, not renowned, but he kind of became known as like an author and a writer so then in 19 uh I guess I kind of did that kind of backwards but so he moved in with Kathleen in 1989 and they got married in 1997 
um, and he ran his campaign in 1999. Um, but so after Michael and Kathleen got married, they have this whole blended family now that consists of Michael, Kathleen, Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin, Michael's sons, Clayton and Todd, and his adopted daughters, Margaret and Martha. So now we're going to fast forward to the night of Kathleen's death, which was the night of December 9th, 2001. Michael made a 911 call around 2 a.m. to report that he had just found Kathleen unconscious in their home and that she had, he suspected she had fallen down the stairs. So the 911 call is only like 30 seconds. So I'm going to play it for you guys. So you can okay. kind of hear. Oh um, Literally the most eerie thing ever is like 911 calls. I know because you can so just creepy. hear the emotion in their voices. Yeah. Or the non-emotion if they're like guilty and they're trying to cover it. Okay, I'm gonna make sure the volume's all the way up. Hopefully, you guys can hear this. Let me know if you can't hear it. John, now we're one way to market. 911 call and a lot mm. of people kind of think that it was fake um but I mean I don't know I mean now you heard it so you I can of... I can kind of see how they would think that because he just it's obviously I can't say I've never made a 911 call in my life and I hope that stays that way mm-hmm. but um just in a situation like that I feel I don't know I mean it half me is like it seems like a little over dramatized and then mm-hmm. half me is like i mean i get it you can't really judge how somebody reacts to something like that right but he seemed to be like gasping and like oh my god oh my god like yeah if your wife falls down the stairs and is unconscious you don't automatically assume they're dead you know what i mean like right i don't and know i've had to i've had to do a 911 call before but it wasn't you know I, yeah well anyways it's for my dad but and he we thought that he was having a heart attack but um it's it's weird how you only have one like train of thought mm-hmm. your your only thing is to get 911 to get you help like that's it so yeah. it's weird you're like uh-huh. almost calm on the phone right it's hard because it's like you really want to like come off as like like you want to be calm obviously and then like I feel like half of you is like oh shit I'm panicking yeah right I think that's a a lot of the criticism about the 911 call comes from so you know she kept asking the dispatcher kept asking how many stairs she fell down and he's kind of in this like "Ah," state and then immediately just goes 15 20 I don't know and like people say that it almost yeah. sounds like in that moment he like shut off his franticness and was just like 15 20 I don't know yeah it seemed very like played up almost yeah in my, at least in my opinion like that's my opinion I think it's just a little played up 
but uh i don't know i again i can't really judge how somebody reacts on the phone Mm -hmm. in most of the any of the 911 calls i've ever heard in you know any like dayline or true crime or anything it's never that right crazy you know Mm -hmm. so that was around 2 a.m that he i think it was two or three that he made the 911 call after he allegedly found his wife at the bottom of the stairs so when the ambulance arrived they pronounced kathleen dead there um and they asked michael what he had been doing you know earlier that night And he replied that he had been sitting at their pool and smoking his pipe while Kathleen went inside to catch up on her work. And he said that he had been outside for about 45 minutes since she had gone inside. And then when he went back in, he found her at the bottom of the stairs. And he said that she had been wearing flimsy flip-flops and also had been drinking that night. So they, he had said that they had been, you know, drinking some wine together by the pool then Kathleen decided to go inside and catch up on some work and he stayed outside to smoke his pipe. Flimsy flip-flops. That sounds weird. Yeah. So then obviously the experts examined Kathleen's uh, body and the scene and everything. And they found that Kathleen's blood alcohol content was 0.07%, which is obviously below the legal limit of 0.08 percent so if she she had been drinking but it wasn't like she was super inebriated like her blood alcohol content would have was low enough that she could still drive legally um and after examining exam sorry i thought i just said examinating and that's not a word but i think i said examining you can make it a word say examinating who cares after examining her body um in the scene they found that she had seven deep lacerations on her head mm. and some scrapes and bruises on her face and a crushed thyroid oh shit and the autopsy report found that the lacerations on her head were consistent with blows from a blunt object and that she had died from blood loss 90 minutes to two hours after sustaining her injuries i was gonna say like I mean, even if you do fall down the stairs and hit everything perfectly, like, would you really sustain that much, like, damage? But also, like, seven deep lacerations. Right. Mm. So the autopsy report said that she had died from blood loss 90 minutes to two hours after sustaining her injuries. But remember that Michael said he had been outside for about 45 minutes. That Kathleen had been alone. Just a little sus. So then the medical examiner, who was forensic pathologist Deborah Radish, found these injuries to be consistent with death by homicide. Uh Uh-oh, spaghetti-o. Forensic scientists also said that the blood on the stairs did not appear fresh and looked as though it may have been wiped or washed. And they also found a bloody shoe print on Kathleen's sweatpants and blood drops on michael's shorts so sir please your bullshit story is unraveling very quickly since the blood evidence was a lot of the core evidence in this case i'm going to show you guys a couple of pictures it's nothing too like graphic i can assure you Um, i've probably seen worse so but let's see oh my god this is holy her body a lot of blood 
was found. Then, so you can kind of see how at the top of the stairs there, see how that's all kind of like smudged. Yeah. Like it's not droplets. Mm-hmm. It's smears. Um, so a lot of the evidence that they talk about blood spatter wise, you can kind of see here. So they're taught, they talked about how on the wall, if she had just fallen, there really should have just been like spatters everywhere. Okay. But she looks placed. And you can see there's literally bloody paper towels in this corner. Mm -hmm. Like no one just really keeps paper towels at the bottom of the stairs. I'm sorry. Where are the stairs so in the right corner Mm -hmm. okay so this is the staircase that she allegedly fell down um and you can also see in this picture that she has blood on the bottoms of her feet Mm -hmm. which if she had fallen head first down the stairs as michael claimed would not have happened so like there's no way in hell no way absolutely not my question is like i mean I, okay, this is gonna be weird but i've seen somebody fall downstairs before they were fine but you generally go head first you mm-hmm. don't land yeah. feet first unless you're sliding down because you lost your footing or whatever mm-hmm. i get like aileen said like blood on the bottom of her feet but she That's can really really weird posed. yeah yeah, the blood, the blood on the bottom of her feet was a big indicator um, because if she had just fallen down the stairs and hit her head, she would not have had blood on the bottom of her feet. And there wouldn't have been blood like on the wall like that because right. if you're falling, you're falling down the stairs. You're not going to have time to be like, whoa, it's a wall slide. Like, mm-hmm. no, no. Every, so, it all just looks too perfect. This is a, like a CGI image of what her, her skull looked like. Oh, damn. So these are like the lacerations that I was telling you about yeah. that were all in the back of in her, her head. skull too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shit. Yeah, not sus at all. Nah. So it's all the back of her head. Um, and then this is another photo of that kind of corner. So like Ugh. the bottom of the stairs here was where you from the other Found angle her, yeah. the other picture. So this is the blood that they're talking about that looks like it may have been wiped. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I can kind of see how, like, if she's falling headfirst down the stairs, she smashes into that wall. Mm-hmm. But again, you'd probably smash into it and then go headfirst down the other part. Like, I don't right. know. Yeah, I'm not a scientist. Weird how that's set up, though. By no means am I a scientist, but yeah, me neither. <laughs> on, like stuff that I have seen and stuff that I've like picked up, just fun fact wise, in terms of like forensics. But and also, stuff. if she had fallen headfirst down the <laughs> stairs, I feel like you would have seen like one impact on like the top or front of her head and not seven yeah not on the back lacerations on the back of her head like at least to me like i i obviously her face was blocked off but like you would have probably seen something on her jaw or like her forehead or like blood coming down and there was nothing so then this is michael's shorts so you can see how there's kind of like droplets droplets, yeah and they were saying if he had gotten blood on his shorts just from like being near her body or like moving it or whatever, mm-hmm. like it wouldn't have had such distinct droplets. Um, and one of the, like, they had a lot of people, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but they had a lot of people testify about blood spatter and mm-hmm. they talk about this like a lot in the documentary. Um, and a lot of people like these scientists or whatever were saying that this kind of blood pattern is consistent mm-hmm. with spatter and not yeah. just like contact blood transfer which means 
he should have been near her when some sort of impact to blood happened right mm-hmm. um, there's no this- there's scientifically and forensically there's no possible way for like droplets like that to get on a person unless they were there at the time of like impact or whatever and then this last picture is the shoe print that was Ooh. on Kathleen's oh, sweatpants um so the shoe print is on the back of her sweatpants which means that she, huh. in order for this to have happened she would have had to have been lying face down and someone would yeah. have had to step on her pants hi sir no. your, your bullshit information it's makes no just, sense it's, it's a little suspicious just a bit it's it's a little suspicious i would say so so, so i thought it was kind of important to just kind of show mm-hmm. you guys those pictures to see yeah. kind of understand what we're talking about <clears throat> absolutely totally. it's just i love how little like forensic details like that like you can tell like for instance like if somebody dies by gunshot um you can tell if somebody was standing there based on like what the blood splatter is or you could tell if there was like a second or third person there at the crime scene or you could tell like how the person fell based on where the blood is or how they were laying like it's just so fascinating how they can just be like oh shoot the shoe prints on the back of her shorts so obviously Mm -hmm. you know whatever or so it just there's a lot of stuff that the evidence just didn't make sense um, with the idea that she had just fallen. Right. Um, so police investigators concluded that the injuries were not consistent with an accidental fall down the stairs. And since Michael was the only person at the home and the time at the time of Kathleen's death, he was considered the prime suspect. Um, As Morgan and says, eventually and did it. That is very Sorry. true. <laughs> but uh eventually the uh grand jury indicted him on first degree murder charges and then michael surrendered to the police smart so on january 14 2002 a judge set the bond for michael peterson at eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and he was released and that same day he also learned that the jury would not seek the death penalty if he was convicted um, and on February 14th, 2002, the Peterson family hired a forensic specialist named Dr. Henry Lee, who was a key person in the O.J. Simpson murder trial. Ooh. And he spent nearly four hours at the home looking for various samples of, you know, forensic evidence. Um, in the documentary, they show a lot of uh, footage of like the trial and stuff, and mm-hmm. they show a good chunk of Dr. Henry Lee's testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically is uh, like a, obviously he's a forensic specialist, like I said. So a lot of the evidence was all based on forensics because at this mm-hmm. point they, they don't have, they indicted him on first degree murder charges, but they right. don't have a murder weapon. And they don't really have a motive at this point. Uh, if we dial it back a little bit, we're going we're to take a little trip back in time to when Michael and his first wife, Patricia, were living in Germany. So remember the neighbors whose daughters the Petersons took in after they both died? Mm-hmm. It turns out that Elizabeth Ratliff, the mother, who died in 1985, was found at the bottom of a staircase with several deep cuts to her scalp. Hmm. Sound uh, a little little familiar? Sounds a little familiar to me. Just just a little. 
And allegedly, Michael was the last person to have seen her alive. Huh, weird. Her her cause of death was officially ruled as a stroke. So I think that their idea was, I mean, it was 1985, so it's not as advanced, but um, I think their idea was that she had a stroke and fell down the stairs. But I'd love um, to see a picture of her. Yeah. I didn't look that up. I wonder if they have it somewhere on the internet, but um, so her, like I said, her cause of death was officially ruled as a stroke, um, but the Durham district attorney presented this autopsy information as part of the investigation into Kathleen's death. They were like, here's another person that is connected to Michael Peterson that was found dead at the bottom of of the stairs. It's, I don't know, to me, it's just like he thinks he can get away with it. And he's like, it's like, oh, no, sir, it happened twice? Yeah. Oh, no, poor <laughs> you. Once it's is a wrong. mistake, twice is a pattern. Yeah. So in February of 2003, Margaret and Martha, who are the Ratliff's daughters, gave the Durham DA permission to exhume their mother's body, who was, which was buried in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. And they... Margaret and Martha were standing by Michael through all of this, and they were reluctant to allow um, the DA to exhume their mother's body just because mm-hmm. they didn't want to kind of play into that whole theory. Um, but they were hoping that it would help uh, clear his name, obviously, if they found evidence mm-hmm. that it would. Right. So officials exhumed the body of Elizabeth Ratliff on April 14th, 2003. And then on April 29th, the state medical examiner's report stated that Elizabeth Ratliff died of blunt force trauma to the head. Weird. And the autopsy report showed several lacerations and a fracture to her skull. Um, So obviously that contradicts the first autopsy that said that she died of a stroke. So the next month, so in June of 2003, prosecutors traveled to Germany where they examined the home where Elizabeth Ratliff died and questioned a former neighbor who said they remembered seeing Michael Peterson quickly leaving the home the night that Elizabeth died. Mm. There Um, it is. So this was, this whole situation was brought up and talked about in his trial. And another thing that was not directly related to Kathleen's death that was discussed in his trial was a lot about how Michael was bisexual during the time that he was married to Kathleen. He was actively seeking relationships with men. Um, like there are, were emails and letters and stuff of him like um, communicating with men in like a romantic sexual way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the prosecution alleged that Kathleen found out that he was like having these extramarital whatever issues. And uh, they said that that maybe may, would have made Kathleen really angry, which could have been a motive for murder that he didn't want her to like tell people that he was gay or bisexual or whatever. Get a divorce. Get, yeah. Get, right. get a fucking divorce. God, I just want people to be happy. My God, don't. I know. I know. How oh. about let's not murder our fellow man? I like that plan. I How agree with that? that. Yeah. Except when I threaten it in fake time. 
in that case, it's probably because you deserve it, but <laughs> that's irrelevant. Um, so like I said, that those were two kind of situations that were maybe not directly related to Kathleen's death that were talked about a lot in his trial. Um, but so on June 23rd, 2003 is when the jury selection was made for his trial. So after a long trial and four days of deliberation, the jury found Michael Peterson guilty of first degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in, sentenced to life in prison on October 10th, 2003. So now Michael is in jail, convicted of first degree murder. And on October 10th, 2005, one of Michael's defense attorneys filed an appeal saying that Michael's bisexuality and alleged pursuit of same-sex relationships, as well as the death of Elizabeth Ratliff, um, clogged the trial evidence, were irrelevant, and were reasons why Michael did not get a fair trial. So they basically were saying is these are things that were not relevant to the situation um, that made people kind of, you know, view him in a different light that may have impacted their decisions to okay. not to convict. Couple things. Um again, it's the whole like gay panic thing. I think that's bullshit and it doesn't it shouldn't matter. Like if you're having an extramarital affair with a man or a woman, it doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. One, get a fucking divorce. Two Murder is never the answer for anything Mm -hmm. unless it's like self-defense or something. And it's like extenuating circumstances. I understand that that's a tangent for another day, but I just don't see how like somebody's sexuality has to do with them being on trial for murder. It doesn't. Right. But that's what what they're, that's what they're saying in the appeal was basically that they talked about his bisexuality so much that they were it kind of warped everything yes they were Got saying it. that okay. it's possible that michael being bisexual since you know this was 2003 yeah. it's not as advanced as it is now it may have made people view him negatively <laughs> um and <gasps> bless bless you. You. thank you and may have impacted okay Got it. opinions Got it. of him okay so that's kind of what they're saying is that so you is talked that about the- him is that the defense or the prosecution that's saying that? That's just... the defense because they're okay. they're filing an appeal right. saying that his bisexuality was not relevant um, to the okay. trial I agree and with them may have one. had a uh, adverse effect on the conviction. Okay, yeah, I know I can agree with that. So on September nineteenth, two thousand six, so about a year later, a three court judge of appeals rejected Peterson's arguments that he did not get a fair trial. Um, and then obviously he kept like appealing. Um, but on November 9th, 2007, the Supreme Court of North Carolina rejected Michael's appeal for a new trial. Oh, bummer. So he's done at this point. Yeah. And he has no um, appeal options anymore. So he's just in prison, um, but he continues to proclaim his innocence. He has said <laughs> the whole time that he had nothing to do with it. Homie, no. <laughs> that's all that's all i gotta say about that. <laughs> that's oh, it me no absolutely fucking not no so then there was no um real other news in the case mm-hmm. um that came until january of 2011 
when Dwayne Deaver, who was a blood analyst for the State Bureau of Investigation, was fired after a review of the state crime lab showed he was negligent in dozens of tests he performs on the state's behalf. Now, Dwayne Deaver was a key witness for the prosecution at Michael Peterson's trial. Gotcha. So he basically did a ton of testimony on blood spatter analysis. He ran a lot of tests um, and they, they showed a kind of uh, examples of the experiments and stuff that he ran um, in the documentary. But so he basically did this whole study and analysis on blood spatter and what would have been where and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So his testimony was really, really key in Michael's trial. Right. Okay. Um, So then he was fired basically for criminal negligence in his job. So the next month in February of 2011, Michael Peterson filed a motion for retrial due to Deaver's termination. Okay. Excuse me, since Deaver's testimony was such a monumental factor in his original trial. And then on December 14th, 2011, a judge granted Michael Peterson a new trial and allowed him to be released from prison and placed on house arrest. I hope it didn't have a staircase. Still the same house. Fuck! (laughs) He stayed in that same house. Um... So then they scheduled the retrial for May of 2017, but Peterson actually never stood trial for a second time um, because he decided to enter an Alford plea for voluntary manslaughter in his wife's death in his wife's death in exchange for a sentence of time served. Coward. So as a little bit of background, an Alford plea is a guilty plea in criminal court. And in entering an Alfred plea, the defendant admits that the evidence presented by the prosecution would likely be enough to persuade a judge or jury to find the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So the main difference between a regular guilty plea and an Alfred plea is that the defendant entering an Alfred plea maintains their innocence. So the official definition of an Alfred plea is a plea under which a defendant may choose to plead guilty, not because of an admission to the crime, but because the prosecutor has sufficient evidence to place a charge and to obtain conviction in court. So the whole, I read a little bit about the backstory of the Alfred plea. It was named after someone named Alfred, actually, obviously. And he basically pled guilty but he said or somebody one of his lawyers or something said that he only pled guilty because he was afraid of the death penalty Mm. like he didn't want to go to trial because he was nervous of getting convicted and getting the death penalty so he pled guilty but he was innocent so that's kind of the whole thing behind it is you're basically acknowledging that the evidence might be enough to convict you but you're saying you didn't commit the crime whereas a lot of people that plead guilty are saying all right I did it I'm fight him (laughs) I mean I don't understand why anybody would enter an Alfred plea without like if you know that you did it like if you're Um, that close just say that you did it because at least in that case sometimes the sentence can be lowered because you agreed to a plea (sighs) Um, I'd fight him right in the face down a set of stairs Basically, because of this plea, he pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. 
which obviously is a lot different from first degree murder. Um, and he was sentenced to a maximum of 86 months in prison with credit for time previously served. Um, and since at this point, Michael had spent a total of 98.5 months in prison for his first conviction, he did not have to serve any additional prison time and was a free man. That's some bullshit. Jesus. There's too much evidence to prove that it was not an accident. Yeah. And he's the only one that was there. Like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? I'm mad. So that's that's the kind audacity. of basically all there is. Um, mm-hmm. And the Staircase documentary goes into a lot more detail about all of the forensic evidence and kind of what supports and refutes each side of the argument. Because like I said, the the biggest evidence in this case was the blood and the blood spatter and the forensic evidence because there's right. not really a lot of other detail. And, you know, like I said, they talked in the documentary about different tests that were run to see if, you know, blood spatter that was found at the scene or blood patterns that were found at the scene could have been the result of a fall or if they were impact spatter and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, they go back into, they go into so much detail about it. Um, So I recommend anybody, if you're interested in learning more about it, to watch The Staircase Mm -hmm. on Netflix, because it's, it's super in-depth detail about um, everything. And it uses uh, a lot of um, interviews with Michael. Obviously he's out of jail Mm-hmm. now and when it was filmed so they actually did like interviews with him and stuff and obviously he still completely says he has nothing he had nothing to do with it yeah, of um, course but so they had you know experts on both sides testifying about the blood spatter and forensic evidence and everything so it is interesting to kind of see how each side um interpreted it so I want to play you guys like a short video that's like a clip from it. So I don't think you guys can hear the sound if I just share my screen, right? Like I have to unplug no. my headset. Yeah. Okay. Ron uh, found a number of photos. Can you hear? Um, mm-hmm. there, there are really small differences, but very significant differences. Um, between two photos taken of the same object by the police at a time when Michael Peterson... Sorry, side note, this is Michael's defense attorney that's speaking right now. Gotcha, okay. ...was in a den somewhere uh, under police watch or else out of the house. They're experts. Um, Look at things like this, these things with numbers here, and they say, oh, well, you see, that's a skeletonized bloodstain. That means that someone tried to clean up this area and what happened was the blood stain was very dry on the outer ring because that's where it dries first and much less dry in the middle. Damn. Someone came through and tried to clean it. All they wiped up was the middle. Oh, shit. And when you go back to another photo, and both of these are taken on 12-9, the same day. Damn. And you look at these same blood stains. They're completely filled in. And so to the extent their expert is saying, oh, there was cleanup here. Well, if there was cleanup, it was cleanup by the police, not by Michael Peterson. And, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing I think that really creates um, questions in the minds of the jurors. I mean, you know, would you want to bet your own life on the competence of Dan George and the Durham crime scene investigators? 
because if you wouldn't want to bet your own life on them, then don't bet Michael Peterson's life. I thought that clip was just super kidding. interesting just because it kind of talks about, or it kind of just shows how in detail to kind of go through everything. And like, like I said, that was Michael's defense attorney or yeah. one of them. Um, so he obviously is looking for evidence for, to, uh, you know, present reasonable doubt that Michael did it. Um, and, you know, those pictures that he found, you know, if they're saying this was cleaned up and, you know, earlier in the day, it was not, then, you know, that's, you know, yeah, questionable. So it's, it's a definitely a, a super interesting case, like forensically and um, scientifically, I think, because, you know, we've talked a lot about cases that are more like, oh my God, what is the word? Why can't I think of it? circumstantial and this one is really highly based on forensic evidence so i am curious what do you guys think oh yeah he's absolutely guilty oh ridiculous amount of evidence like really you don't end up like that on the stairs like i i've fallen down the stairs before and it hurts like a bitch but it i don't know it's just you don't it's not gonna kill you unless you just like hit your temple in a perfect way you could you could die you could break your neck yes but like you but like you don't end up like that no that's all literal blunt force trauma so one of the things that they were saying was that so i guess they found a blow poke for a fireplace um in the basement of the home that they were alleging could have been the murder weapon um because of its shape and kind of like i don't know weird because like you saw the patterns on the back of her skull like they're kind of weird like it's not like a a big round thing it's something kind of like skinny they like it was never proven that that would have been the murder weapon but there was a lot of speculation um an allegation that it was or it could have been um mm-hmm. so one of the main theories on the prosecution side was that Kathleen was actually standing at the bottom of the stairs mm-hmm. and Michael hit her in the back of the head with the blow poke and then she fell forward mm-hmm how she would have fell fallen face down and they would have gotten a bloody shoe print on the back of her sweatpants mm-hmm. and then he like as he was maybe her. trying to step over to her and like flip her and like position her yeah and then okay. he like staged her to look like she had fallen and her feet were, were freaking covered in blood like mm-hmm. what because like if she if she got hit in the back of the head like the bud blood would have like pooled at her feet I don't know because I was very torn when I was watching the documentary like if you watch the whole thing you kind of like go through ups and downs or at least I did of me being like oh I oh he definitely did it and then I was like oh I don't know if he did it but like I was also you know this was what three years ago that I was watching it so I'm older now I'm more mature (laughs) (laughs) oh damn so uh I don't know looking back at it the second time like i i really think he did it i think he definitely i think he absolutely did it and i also don't think that you plead guilty if you're really innocent that's truly what i believe and like whether he did an alfred plea or whatever saying i'm innocent but that's his way of saying like 
to maybe prove me guilty. Like if you're really innocent, at least for me, if I was charged with a crime that I a hundred percent didn't commit, I was like, we have to at least try. I feel like that's kind of a, like, I get it. Like I understand why it's a thing, but that's also kind of his like subtle, like, fuck you. I definitely did it. But like, I don't want to admit it. I know I'm going to get convicted for it. He just didn't want to go back to jail. So he figured if he could do this plea and they credited him back for the time he was already in jail, then he didn't have to worry about anything. Um, So I could kind of see that too, because if at this point you already spent 10 years in jail for a crime that you didn't commit, um, then you don't want to risk going back to jail. Um, So I could see kind of the argument on both sides because he knew by entering that plea that he was not going to have to go back to jail. Great. I don't know. Load it's definitely sticky. I would very le- <sighs> much like to physically fight him in the back of a Wendy's parking lot. Do you want to see what he looks like? Yes. yes. Does he look disgusting? Yes. <laughs> Are you guys ready? No, but yes. I want to physically fight him in the back. Ew! Ew! Why does he look like a zit? So that's him as like obviously old man. Like he was like 70 at the point that he entered his plea 70 or 72 or something like that i think um so he was an old man i could win in a fight against him in a wendy's parking lot if you do watch it like he is very weird like his energy is very off i found when i was watching it sir your vibes are disgusting also, um, Caitlin, Kathleen's <laughs> yeah. daughter from her first marriage, filed a civil suit um, against Michael, um, saying that like he caused her mother's death. Um, and a judge, why can't I think of the word? I don't know. A judge granted that, basically said that he was responsible for, for her death, um, and he was ordered to pay Caitlin $25 million dollars. Um, ah. but the man's broke as shit. Mm-hmm. He, uh, <laughs> he filed for bankruptcy at some point when he was during the trial process, I think, mm-hmm. um, or maybe while he was in jail. But, um, so they basically were saying that realistically there was no point or there was no possibility that he was actually going to be able to pay Caitlin the $25 million, but like she and the other like people around the situation were like, this is on record that somebody said that he was responsible for her death. So that was kind of the more important part behind it and not necessarily the money. And I mean, on record, he's guilty of it because he pled guilty. Mm -hmm. So what a piece of garbage. Yeah, seriously. I just don't know how you think like, oh yeah, I'm going to put her in like this and she's going to look like, she looked like she fell down the stairs. Someone didn't do his Tumblr research. No. Also, if it was his <laughs> second time doing this, you know what I mean? Like, I they Ew. never he never was charged or anything in Elizabeth Ratliff's death. Um, so that was all just kind of conjecture um and mm-hmm. theories. So there's nothing official about that, but say hypothetically that it was his second time doing this, murdering somebody and staging them at the bottom of the stairs like they fell. Like, I mean, he got away with it the first time. If that's what happened. <sighs> so maybe he just thought like, oh, well, might as well just try it again. He's like, damn, I'm too good. That I am so good at this. 
I can do it again. Boy. No. You want to face off against me? I'll meet you in the back of an Arby's. Oh my god. (laughs) By the way, all fights are better in fast food parking lots. Oh my god, you're so right. (laughs) Ma'am, this is a Wendy's drive-thru. The important (laughs) question is, would I beat him in a fight in a Wendy's parking lot? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. He is old and frail and fragile. I could just throat kick him and I'd win. So. Yes. I think I remember them saying in the documentary that like there were some of his kids that like stood by him the whole time and some of them that didn't. I would have been like, like, yeah, fuck off, Deb. Yeah, I think it was like oh my god. Originally like Caitlin. Kathleen's daughter and Kathleen's sister were like, oh, there's no way Michael could have done this. And then kind of like as time went on, they were like, this bitch killed him, killed her. Yeah. Um, so they were both very like vocally out against him. Okay, listen, like if it's very obviously clear that a family member of mine has absolutely murdered somebody else in my family, I'd be like, bitch, stop. You did it. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't stand by them. If even if my fucking kid came to me and was like, hey, yeah, I fucking killed someone i'd be like hey police my yeah. kid hunt i need to put, bring him to jail thanks like it doesn't matter hopefully by that point i would have brought up my children better than that but if for you whatever know. reason they go off and fucking murk someone right to jail i'm ratting you out sorry <sighs> yeah i don't know does that I make me do a bad future know. mother yeah probably <laughs> Am I a good law-abiding citizen? Absolutely. I mean, TBH. If like one of you guys told me that you murdered somebody, I'd probably call the police. That's fair. Absolutely. So yeah, because then I, if I you understand. don't and you know, then you're accessory. So uh-huh. yeah, and I like you ain't I taking like me down with you, but I'm not gonna no, be no. one. <laughs> Love me a good accessory. Same. It's mostly just Love my Tony. Like, it's just mostly my Tony Stark sunglasses, but that's you know, and my camera. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram I'm at Murder Mystery Mac and Cheese. Yeah, I'm Crackhead. So same. Stay cheesy. Until next time. <laughs> Peace out, all. Bye-bye. bye bye.